already it's been a good morning. Thanks so much for giving me a few minutes here this morning to share with you. If you're not familiar with who I am, my name is Mark Freeman, and uh, I'm an elder here at Grace, and I'm also a former uh, pastor here at Grace. But more than anything, I'm, I'm with y'all. I'm a, I'm a loving, go after Jesus, trying my best to be a good dad, trying my best to be a good husband, trying my best to be a good son. And, and yet we recognize in this world there are all sorts of things that, that compete for our affection, all sorts of things that compete for truth in our lives. And you don't have to spend much time scrolling through social media or reading in the news or seeing in the news or however, even just interacting with people, that we live in a world that is broken. Never so much has the poisonous kind of a caustic effect of sin, I think, been so obvious than in the world that we live in right now. This is a world in conflict. This is a culture in conflict. And, and I'm hoping this morning as I share with you, we can start to find a path towards healing. We can start to find a path towards understanding a little more clearly what our purpose on this side of eternity is for believers, what our purpose on this side of eternity is for those of you who have not started a relationship with Christ yet. God has some amazing things that he can share with us. You see, I'm, I'm no stranger to conflict. Uh, conflict is, it permeates all sorts of interesting areas of my life. And, and one of the areas that shows up the most um, obvious is that I am a pet owner. And more specifically, I am a dog owner. Any, where's there pet owners in the house? All right, dog people, where are you at? Even if you don't own one, you're a dog person. That's, that's, the, way, that's, the, way pet own, that's the way pets work, right? You don't have to be a dog, but you can be a dog person, right? But cat people, you have to own a cat. I don't know why it works that way, because if you're not a cat person, then you're not inviting little Satans into your house to terrorize um, and destroy your worlds. But we, uh, I have two cats, and we have one very dopey dog, um, his name is Maximus. His name is not fitting his personality. Um, he's not nearly as intimidating as that name would, would lead you to believe. He just recently had some surgery, and he wears what my kids affectionately refer to as the cone of shame, if you're familiar with the Thank goodness we don't go to the doctors, and they send us home with a cone of shame. Now, some of you may have licking issues. I don't know. But... Um, but uh, watching, not only, not only is he fun to watch with this cone of shame, because he's got no understanding of spatial like awareness, he's smashing that thing into all kinds of stuff. But he's also still coming off some of the anesthesia, and we're giving him some, some decently powerful pain medication. And so he's staggering around. He's just kind of an embarrassment. He's a little bit of a slobbery mess. I wish I could say that, that he wasn't embarrassing. He was only embarrassing in the last 24 hours, but he's one of those dogs where you take him out and you're, and, and you're not exactly sure what you're going to get, right? Um, I'm sad to say for Maximus' sake, he, he, when we go to the vet, this, he's a COVID puppy, by the way. We got him before COVID, but he grew up with no contact with people outside the world except for our family, which is probably part of his issues. And... Um, so he's, German shepherds are already leery of people. That's just the way that they're, they're bred. They're protective. They love the family like crazy, but other people I'm not so sure about. So he gets anxiety when he goes to the vet. This poor pup is on three medications that I have to give him to get through a vet visit. And uh, even still, he's embarrassing. Um, and so I, I'm like, maybe I should. I liked it better when I wasn't allowed to go in with him because I didn't know the, the calamity that he causes. 
And we went through a, like a whole can of squeeze cheese, one, one vet appointment with him, just trying to let them look inside of his ears, but he just was not happening. Um, so if, if you own a dog, you understand conflict. If you own a cat, um, you understand a whole nother level of conflict. See, dog ownership is like inviting a toddler into your house, but not like one of those, oh, he's going to be, he or she's going to be something amazing some way, do- toddlers. It's one of those like, oh, they're super cute toddlers. You know, you know those toddlers, right? We invite these little puppies into our house because they're so cute and they're so playful. And then yet we try to talk to them like they understand anything that we're saying because we don't want them to embarrass us when we're out in public, Right? Max is one of those kind of like aggressive hindquarters sniffers, which is super embarrassing when you're going out and meeting other owners of dumb toddlers. And you're like, Max, keep your nose to yourself. We keep our nose to ourselves, our hands to ourselves. But, um, but that's, just the, that's just the nature of the conflict of owning a, a pet, owning a dog. See, I'm, I'm not, I think you guys get my point, but we, conflict is a part of, is a part of our lives. Conflict is the world we live in because we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. And I don't know where you fall on the spectrum this morning of being a follower of Jesus, but we live in a world that is broken. And and even unbelievers recognize things are not the way that they're supposed to be. Things just don't seem to work right. The good news is, I think there's a lot that the Bible can teach us this morning about understanding how to deal with conflict, why conflict is in our lives. It doesn't take much time looking around to see on social media or in our families or in the news that conflict is everywhere. But most specifically this morning, we're going to take some time, and I know our time is, uh, I'm going to be as careful as I can with the clock, but I also am really conscious about what God wants to communicate this morning. So uh, this morning, I really want to make sure we understand how conflict affects our hearts, the conflict that is in our own hearts. Where does that conflict come come from? Why do we let certain things create hurt and anger, jealousy and envy, selfishness, warring and developing in our hearts? Why is there this battle within us? And we're going to take a look this morning in the, in the book of James. So if you've got something that you look at your Bible on, um, I'm not like Pastor Julie. You can have a paper Bible or you can have a digital Bible. Both are fine with me. Um, if you want to get your Bible out, let's take a look in James chapter 4. And as you're turning there, James chapter 3 spends some time talking about how to control our mouths and how to use wisdom. So some of you may want to start reading there, um, but it's not a surprise to me that the logical, the logical progression of things as it relates to understanding how to control our mouth and, our, and how to use wisdom would be we need to take a look at our hearts. Because our heart is the source of our words and where wisdom and desire take action. So we really need to take a look at our heart this morning. Let's take a moment, and I'll read through the first three verses here in James chapter 4. I'm reading for the New Living Translation, um, so that's, if yours looks different, that's why. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. 
And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. James starts off chapter 4 with a question. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? And in a classic dad move, he answers his question with another question. Dads love doing that. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? So James points out here that we have passions at war within us. The war of passions is kind of a typical showdown in my house, and usually it sounds like this. Dad, I'm hungry. Can I get a snack? Right? I don't know what it is, uh, but, but my kids are constantly hungry, and they always want a snack. And so I'm a good dad, and so I don't want to say no right away. Uh, and so like, like being a good dad, my response is, did you ask your mother? Right? And... Uh, Mom's not home, so I've got no help. I've got no, no recourse here. So they, again, they say, I'm hungry. And I say to them, do you know? Again, I'm trying to reason with them. Do you know what time it is? No. Dinner is in a half hour. Should you be eating something right now? I'm hungry now. What happened yesterday when you ate something before dinner? I don't know. You didn't eat your dinner. That's what happened yesterday when you ate before dinner. Yes, and then the, the puppy dog eyes open and their pupils dilate to unknown degrees and they share with you the classic, but I'm starving, right? This kid wouldn't understand starving at all. And yet they are starving. And so I give in because I love my, my girls and I say, fine, you can have a snack, but don't forget to eat your dinner. And if you do, then we'll have the same exact conversation tomorrow all over again. You see, she has passions at war inside of her, and I have passions at war in me. I really like the way the Message Bible paraphrases these verses in James chapter 4. It says, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and you fight for it deep inside yourselves. One way to think of this verse is to say, the reason you have issues with other people is because they aren't doing what your heart wants them to do. My daughter's desire is to feed her cravings. My desire is that she would obey. She's not getting what she wants, so she persists. I'm not getting what I want, so I push back. And the battle goes on and on until the battle is won by someone. Now, this may be an oversimplification of the greater battle that's taking place in our hearts, but this is what James is referring to. The conflict all around us comes from the conflict that's inside of us. The conflict all around us comes from the conflict that is inside of us. God's word in Jeremiah 17, 9 reminds us that our hearts are wicked and deceitful and they cannot be trusted. But what does the world tell us? Trust your heart. Listen to your heart. Follow your heart. Do what it says. If that's not conflict, I don't know what is. So naturally, the next battle is the battle for your heart. The Bible mentions the heart 836 times, whereas it only mentions sin 340 times. Almost three times more, the Bible addresses the heart. 
And I believe it's safe for us to infer that God cares way more about the conditions of our heart because he knows that if the battle is won first in our heart, then it's much more easily won on the outside. And so there is a battle for your heart. The Gospel of Mark records in chapter 7, verse 15, when Jesus teaches us, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. James gives us a snapshot of what comes out of our hearts in verse 2. He says, you lust for what you don't have, and you are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours, and you risk violence to get your hands on it. We war and we fight to snatch from one another what God would gladly give us if we just approached him humbly. This is what we see James saying in verse 3 of chapter 4. We often hear this verse as, you have not because you ask not, and we stop right there. And so we begin to, to, to convince ourselves, if I say the right combination of words, or if I say it the right way, or if I have enough faith, then God will give me what it is that I want. But in reality, these verses and others like it, like it are telling us this. It's not the proper sequence of your words. It's the proper positioning of your heart. It's not the proper sequence of your words. It's the proper positioning of your heart. God desires a humble heart. A humble heart is repentant, and it asks according to God's will. A humble heart seeks God's truth and is more interested in what he wants than its own desires. You see, I've realized that in my own life, 90% of my problems stem from my own selfishness. I'll give you a sneak peek into my heart and maybe you can sympathize and hopefully you won't run away when I give you a, a look at what's inside there. But the majority of the battles within my own heart come from either my desire to be comfortable or stay comfortable. I'm always trying to move towards being more comfortable or trying to stay where I'm at in comfort. Let me give you an example. I try my best to be a good husband and a good father, and my wife, Melissa, is a middle school teacher, and so I've been trying even harder the last couple years to really take help around the house a little bit more, do some tasks without having to be asked, just to be a blessing to her and try to help around the house. But remember, that's not what my heart wants. My heart wants me to either get comfortable or stay comfortable. And so as I look around my house from the comfort of my couch, I see things everywhere that could be picked up. And so the battle begins. <laughs> you see, cleaning is not comfortable. <laughs> Sitting is comfortable. Doing nothing is comfortable. Battle, battle, battle. But I also know that it would be a blessing to my wife if I, she came home and the house was a little cleaner. Battle, battle, battle. And so this war rages on inside of me. And a half hour later, the scattered bodies of my fallen comfort foes lay around me. And I emerge victorious, ready to clean the house. And it's right about that time that she'll walk into the room and very sweetly say, hey, can you help me clean up the house? And all of a sudden... On the horizon, as the sun rises and the fog lifts, a new foe arises. It's not my wife. <laughs> it's pride. You see, this interesting thing happens in my heart. 
Am I the only one that gets more stubborn about doing something I already knew I needed to do, but I haven't done it yet, but now that someone's asked me to do it, I don't want to do it anymore? I don't know what that is about my heart. Maybe I'm the only one that's figured this out, but let me help you this morning. I think I understand why this is the way that it is. Just like the verses in James chapter 4 points out, it all has to do with the proper motivation of my heart. You see, I didn't really want to clean the house to serve and bless my wife, at least not initially. I wanted to clean the house because I wanted her to be thankful for me and recognize that I'm a good husband. But now that she's asked me to do it, well... See, here's the conflict in my heart. I love being loved more than I love loving. I love being loved more than I love loving because it's uncomfortable. It requires sacrifice. It requires selflessness. And the equilibrium of my heart is to try to get comfortable or stay comfortable. This is exactly why this section in chapter 4, James warns us about the dangers of loving the world versus God, the difference between the world versus God. I'm going to read from the message paraphrase because sometimes it's just kind of good to hear it in a different different, uh, wording. This is what it says in James chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. You're cheating on God if all you want is your own way. Flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies with God and his way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he is a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far greater than anything else that you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God and he will be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. The conflict in our heart is the same conflict that has existed from the very beginning of time. It's the same conflict that Adam and Eve dealt with that allowed sin to enter into our world. Our sinful desire is this, to be our own God. The same conflict wages war in our world right now. We don't want our desires to be dictated by someone else. I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it. I am my own God. There's a reason why Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But our hearts have twisted this notion, and sin has corrupted this kingdom. And now we say, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth. And the Bible tells us that this is a broken heart. It's not the way God intended it to beat. 
And the only cure for a broken heart is for it to be made new. And so God gave us his heart in Jesus, the heart of the Savior. And this is God's grace, his love for us shown through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The incarnate Savior, Jesus, walks into our soiled world on the battlefield of our life and offers unexpected friendship. But this friendship does not come without a price. In this battle, someone must die. And yet because of his great love for us, he pays the price for us as well, exchanging his life for ours, his beautiful heart for our war-torn hearts. But we must allow God to do his work in us. He freely gives the grace, but only a humble heart can accept it. And as he works in us, To give us a humble heart, we continue to look more and more like Jesus as God's spirit transforms us into his likeness. You see, the starting place for all of us this morning is humility. Humility. And Jesus demonstrated this for us perfectly and lived it out as our substitute, that humility is necessary to extend mercy. Jesus, humbly, the the creator of the universe, the supreme God, the sovereign one, chooses to diminish himself to come to earth and lay down his life for us as an offering, as a sacrifice, as a restoration for what is broken, this miraculous exchange. You see, conflict doesn't only show up in our emotions, our thoughts, and our actions. It comes from your deepest motives. Our underlying desires and beliefs are always at work within us. Motives run far deeper than your conscious thoughts. We often feel, think, act, and react without being aware of our motives. But they are the organizing center of who we are and what we live for. And only a humble heart, only in a humble heart can our motives be revealed. So how do we reveal these underlying motives? I have a prayer that I've added to my regular prayer life that that, that the focus comes right from Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, and it says this, Search my heart, God. Reveal my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in your way everlasting. Conflict comes from trampled expectations based on the motives of our heart. So we need to ask the question, what are my expectations? It's hard to see our motives. It's hard to see them for what they really are. Part of the problem comes because we feel anger is so righteous. And the worst part of our anger is self-righteousness. I am so right because you are so wrong which is why the best place to start is to invite the Holy Spirit in to search our hearts first. We have to ask ourselves some questions. Why does this matter so much to me? Why is this getting me so... What am I afraid of? Ask yourself the question, what am I afraid of? One of the best ways to reveal the motives of your heart is to seek your fears because fear is desire turned backwards. What 
don't I want to happen can sometimes help reveal to us what it is that we really want. What am I afraid might happen? What are you after? What change are you hoping to bring? These types of questions will reveal your heart, what you crave, what you trust, what you hate, and what you love. When conflict arises in your life, when anger comes, when tem- tempers flare, when bitterness creeps in, when we don't, need our, our, we don't need our circumstances to change, we don't need other people to change, we don't need laws and governments to change, our core motives need to change, and our heart needs to change. You see, that little G, lowercase g, God, that you and I worship that says, my kingdom come, my will be done, or else needs to be overthrown. The overthrowing of a false god takes something much deeper than simply learning conflict resolution skills or social media etiquette, valuable as they are. Something miraculous happens when I, say, when I no longer say, my kingdom come, my will be done. My motives no longer operate in usurping God's control and God's power. And we begin to allow God's mercy to flow through us. Mercy, by its very nature, is constructive, not destructive. When we find ourselves in conflict, the reason why we need to give mercy is because mercy restores, it rebuilds, it repairs. Jesus is the embodiment of mercy. Instead of having to win, I want to restore, I want to rebuild, I want to repair. Jesus could have very easily come and won, but instead he came and he gave mercy. And it's only when we shed arrogance and self-interest and jealousy and hostility. Mercy is, ent- is entirely different than a, a t- an entirely different way of reacting to conflict, to things that we think are wrong. Many of us feel like, no, I've got to stand up for this. I've got to defend this. I've got to go to war for this because we feel like mercy and grace are so passive and they're so permissive and they're so allowing. But that's not what mercy is. Mercy is not, is, is not, rea- is non, is not a non-reactive indifference. Mercy cares. It is the furthest thing from approval because it knows that what is happening is wrong, but mercy proceeds hand in hand with justice. This is the gospel message. God's grace, giving us the gift of forgiveness that we don't deserve, and God's mercy, not giving us what we do deserve, death for our disobedience. But God's mercy was not just ignoring injustice. It was sending Jesus to take the punishment for us. Essential for our relationship to be restored with God. Any external conflict is immediately dissolved when the internal conflict is resolved in our hearts. You see, I no longer need to win and get my own way because Jesus has already won on my behalf. I no longer covet what you have because all I need has been given to me in Jesus. I get to serve and love you without strings attached because God has provided all the approval that I need. 
I don't need to judge or compare myself to you because the one true judge who had every right to sentence me guilty, instead, he gave me mercy. And so now I can extend grace and mercy to you as well. I may have painted a picture for you this morning that my life is in my house is constantly in a state of conflict, but that's not true. You see, it's in the in-betweens of these moments of conflict that I get a glimpse of God's perfect plan. I see it when I look in the playroom and my girls are laughing and playing together. I see God's perfect harmony. I see it when one of my girls gets hurt and the others come and run to their rescue. I see perfect care and compassion. I see it when I get to snuggle with them and read books or play together, even after a day of its highs and lows. I see perfect forgiveness and unconditional love. The worship team, if you guys want to make your way up. What is it that you are in need of this morning? Is your life in need of harmony? Does it seem like every relationship that you have is out of control? Then draw close to God and let him bring you peace. Are you in need of healing this morning? Do you find yourself broken this morning, hurt in pain, worn out, or just feeling thin? Then draw close to God and find rest and repair. Are you in need of hope this morning. Maybe you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus yet and accept his free gift of salvation. Are you ready to move closer to the Savior and find your identity and purpose as a child of God? Or maybe you've already made a decision to follow Christ and yet your circumstances that you find yourself in right now still feel hopeless because the enemy has whispered a lie into your ear that has fallen to your heart and you don't understand God's mercy and grace. All of these things are initiated by having a humble heart. Harmony, healing, hope, all from a humble heart a lot of H's, a lot of alliteration. Or perhaps this morning, you just needed a good reminder that just like us, the people all around us are also in conflict and could stand to be extended a little extra mercy and grace in the same way that we needed extended to us. You see, as someone who is highly experienced in conflict, I know this much. Love wins the battle within us every time. Every time. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Father, search my heart. Reveal our anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in us. And lead us in your way everlasting. One of the best ways to position our heart for humility is to remind our hearts of what has been done on our behalf. And we're going to take a moment here to respond with a song that will remind us what has been done on our behalf, what the Savior has done for us, and what he is doing in us and through us. If you'd stand with me as we closing worship this morning. If our 
prayer team would like to co would come forward, if our elders would come forward as we sing in song this morning, perhaps your opportunity to respond is to pray with someone. If you need harmony this morning, restoration of broken relationships, we want to pray with you. If you need healing this morning, Christ has provided for us healing through his sacrifice. If you need hope this morning, we want to come around beside you, lifting your head and lifting your arms and pointing you to the Savior who brings hope this morning.